You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Hey, everybody, check out the Break the Bell podcast, where we believe your voice is your most powerful weapon. For a weekly dose of our take on what's going on in the world mixed with a side of history, find us wherever podcasts are found or on social media handle at Break the Bell Pod. And most importantly, never stop talking. Prepare yourself. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. I haven't really spoken about it much. I uh, I really don't like to air too much of my personal life out there, but for anybody that's been listening to the show for more than a second, you understand quite well that it often bleeds through. Yes, last uh, last Thursday... I made the subtle announcement, I am unemployed. I will put it this way, uh, some stuff went down, and I wish Parlor the best, and I will be moving forward with my life, and they will be moving forward with the company, and I will still continue to be active on the platform, and that's all I have to say about that. Um, With that said... It was not something I saw uh, that was going to happen, but because of some events outside of my control and some other stuff, it's just how things happen. It happened to me. It could happen to anybody. Many of you listening to this have lost your jobs or have lost jobs before. It's never fun, and it's part of life. And uh, it happens just to coincide right between my birthday and Christmas. And uh, if 2020 could not be more of a dumpster fire, this this happened. And uh, there's only so many ways I could take it. I don't like being without work. I don't like being unproductive. Uh, it often causes me to do things that I don't really like doing, like being in a, in a bad frame of mind. Like, being down on myself. There are lots of things I can do. Um, you know, I've got other ways of making money in the meantime. I prepared for a situation like this, so I'm not going to be poor, destitute, or homeless anytime soon. I just have to find another job. But uh, with that said, you know, I gave myself about a week, which I think is a fair amount. I gave myself about a week. To just do nothing. To just veg out and relax. Um, I have not taken a vacation in many, many years. And for the past year and a half, I have really worked uh, more than 40 hours a week. Usually I work between 50, 60 hours a week. And while I was at Parlor, I was typically working weekends as well. Um, and it it is weird. It's almost like this withdrawal when you you go from working at like warp speed all the time and constantly like balancing plates on pencils to not doing much of anything and uh you know i've got stuff to do i've got this show i have the second print comics podcast which is uh 
you know, what I do with Mark Claire and we have our Patreon over there. I, I want I want to set this straight. I don't make anything from the We Are Libertarians Patreon. But if you are a member of the We Are Libertarians Patreon, you allow this show to come to you twice a week because what the deal is is that the We Are Libertarians Patreon is what puts money into the website hosting, that puts money into the podcast syndication, that puts money into marketing. Um, I, you know, I have the the rules for hosts is you have to pay in ten, you have to put in at least ten bucks a month. But what that does is that covers the the minimal um, podcast hosting fees, and then everything else is covered by the Patreon. So the Patreon allows we are libertarians to happen, but I don't make money from it. Uh, for this show, I make money through advertisers, and I make money through the affiliate links that you see in the show notes. Uh, those are all products I use. Those are all products and services I use. If I don't use them, they're not there. So if you ever want to do something cool, you can either reach out to me and advertise on the show, or you could go ahead and click an affiliate link when you sign up and you take advantage of those offers, I get a little something too. Like for Robinhood, when you sign up and get a free stock, I get a free stock. That way we both win. Uh, Second Print Comics podcast, uh, Mark and I have a Patreon for that. That's where I make money through that. Um, I have books I make money off of. I have our articles at websites that I get royalties from. Uh, you know, I, I invest, so I get passive income from that. And, uh, you know, right now I'm doing a lot of uh, social media and digital media consulting. So whether you're a publication, a small brand, a, a internet personality, a small business, mid-level business, I can certainly help you with that. So I'm going to be okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some more writing. I'm going to just continue pumping out content while I have the time. And, uh, you know, something will come along. That's, that's just the reality of it. Something will come along. But until then... It's, it's figuring out what to do because it gets to the point where you also just get really frustrated and you just get kind of annoyed with just forcing yourself to be, to be busy all the time. So I find myself in a constant state of being just pissed off in general. I'm either working too much and I'm frustrated because I'm not seeing enough immediate returns or I'm upset, sad, and frustrated because I'm not working and doing enough to feel productive. So either way, no matter what I do, I'm losing. And... Uh, Oh, what am I drinking tonight? I'm drinking a Stella, Stella Artois, or as Sean from the Degenerate Panel calls it, Stella Artois. One second. Somebody said in the comments of a previous episode that my drinking sounds like a baby drowning. That's a, that's a messed up thought. But um. But anyway, there, there's this like weird little period where I kind of forget the world is happening and I kind of just either drift off watching YouTube or listening to Rogan or I find myself finding articles about things that I just never thought of. And I, uh, I promise this is not going to turn into a listicle show, but sometimes it gets to the point where I find something that just really, really shocks the shit out of me. And uh, this, is, this is an article from Ranker. You usually see them as the clickbaity site. This is a weird history over on Ranker. And they have this article, which is a, a, a series of different lists, about what actually happened to the offspring of history's most nefarious figures. 
Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I like serial killer documentaries. I like biopics about, like, evil people. Because, for me, it's just, it's just interesting. And, uh, you know, I, I've been often wondering, like, what happens when the good guys don't win? What happens when bad things happen to good people? All questions we've covered on the show. Of course, I've listened to many experts. I've done a lot of my own homework, but I'm human. I often figure that, you know, if I do nothing wrong and I'm dealing with the repercussions of the bad actions of bad people, then what does that say about me? It's all, it's all stupid stuff. I know the answer to it. But when you're in a bad season, you're just in the bad season. And, uh... You know, it could be worse. It could be much worse. I have my friends who have been nothing but great and kind and loving to me. I've got my family. I've got my health. I've got time. I can... I've been in worse situations. So if you think that you're listening to me speaking into a microphone right now, drinking, reading articles about what actually happened to the offspring of nefarious figures, and you're wondering, is this the episode where Remso finally blows his brains out? No. I've got stuff to do. I've got places to see. I've got people to meet. I've got, I've got stuff to do. And uh, I think, you know, this is, this is a funny little episode we could certainly do. It's the month of December. Uh, I, I don't necessarily know how to do anything Christmas-themed. Um, this, is, this is how I roll. So... We're going to go ahead and get through this together. And yes, I'm going to go ahead and actually include this link in the show notes so you can go ahead and read it yourself. Uh, I'll be going ahead and throwing in my two cents as we do this. And I think this is perfect because I'm in a strange mood. Everyone in my home is asleep. I've got a nice cold beer. Well, it could be it could be colder. And uh, we're going to go through this together. So this is written by Noel Talman. Update December 15th, 2020. Whatever happened to the children of the most evil men in history? Some of their stories may surprise you. While we all learn about history's worst villains in school, it's rare that we hear anything about their descendants. Some of the offspring of these hated men have followed in their famous father's footsteps to become brutal leaders and dictators, undoubtedly making their parents proud. Yet... There are also tales of children who do whatever they can to separate themselves from their nefarious relatives. Some of these people go into hiding and deny the very existence of the men who fathered them, living tough lives while trying to escape their inherited past. And while some of the world's worst villains may no longer be alive, in many cases their bloodlines are. Their children are vital and well, mingling often unnoticed among the rest of the population, Check out what these descendants of historical figures such as Benito Mussolini, Joseph Stalin, and Mao Zedong are doing now. Um, This gives me uh, an idea. For those of you that don't know, about a year ago, more than a year ago now, I I published a book called How Succeed in Politics and Other Forms of Devil Worship. And that book was a dark comedy based off the life and times of Governor George Wallace. And uh, there, there are two story arcs in the book. There's the George Wallace arc, which takes place from the 60s to the 90s when he eventually dies. And then you have a parallel story that's kind of interwoven about a political consultant named Art Brown between 2016 and 2018. 
elections. And what that book taught me was that there's nuance to a lot of people. And when you understand the nuance, it doesn't necessarily make bad people less bad or good people less good. But I think from what I learned from that experience, it's that um, it, it makes the evil more clear and it makes the good more obvious. And it allows you to really focus on the nuance when it is there. Because I think very often um, there's so much postmodernism, there's so much moral relativity that you want to go ahead and make it so that there that there are no lines. And I, I have this uh, problem with uh, you know Marvel Comics, for example, when they have certain legacy characters, Iron Man, Wolverine, Captain America, Spider-Man, Hulk, etc. And then you try and replace them with a younger uh replacements, so to speak. And what they do is they don't actually try and make good heroes, you know, heroes worthy of the mantles that they're taking. What you do is you create some type of social justice abomination and you basically uh, can't make them into anything interesting because they're nothing but a bunch of word vomit thrown on paper. So what you then have to do is you have to craft stories that make the heroes that we think are great even worse. So that way they're brought far, far, far below these new people who don't even have to be heroic. They just have to exist. So their act of heroism is just existing. And, uh, you know, I think a good example of what this kind of touches on is uh, – you know, Star Wars of the whole Rise of Skywalker thing where you got Mary Sue Palpatine and suddenly, you know, she she can choose to be a to be a Skywalker and stuff like that. And, you know, is she really evil? You know, all this other stuff. It's just it's just freaking stupid. But I think we can learn a lot from understanding what evil is. And if you are a listener of the Second Print Comics podcast, you often hear me talk about uh, what makes a villain truly evil? I don't think Magneto is really evil, and I don't think that the Joker is actually crazy. I think that the Joker is, you know, obviously he's insane, but he's also incredibly evil. So when you just try and distill it down to him just being a mentally ill person, what you're doing is you're excusing all the things that he does, which he knows are intentionally wrong, and he does it because he's intentionally evil. Whereas you have someone like Magneto who does not do evil things just for the sake of doing it. Um, There is nuance to the character, whereas of Joker, there there is no nuance. So I think often, and as we go into 2021 where we've just, you know, been calling each other terrible things for so many years and you know, ultimately, no matter how bad things are, I still think that we live in the greatest nation to ever face the earth. Um, I think sometimes what we need to understand is that evil is real, and that ultimately evil comes down to the choice to be evil. And through understanding evil and through understanding, you know, hate and rage, that only allows us to understand what goodness is and what beauty and what kindness can truly be. So let's go ahead and go through this together. But I can't do it unless I have another drink. So let's do that. Oh, God. I love Stella. Okay. Bettina Gehring sterilized herself so as not to create, quote, another monster. And, uh, oh, man. Uh, Gehring looks, Herman Gehring in this photo, he looks like somebody I know. They could be twins. I'm not going to say who, but that is, uh, that's kind of a scary photo. 
Uh, Bettina Goering was the great niece of Adolf Hitler's second in command, president of the Reichstag, Hermann Goering. As of 2010, she was living in Santa Fe, New Mexico, where she practiced herbal medicine. She explained in the documentary Hitler's Children by Israeli director uh, Shanak Zivi that both her and her brother voluntarily sterilized themselves. She commented, holy shit. So wait a second. This is the great niece of the guy. Like, it's one thing if you were, it's, it's one thing if you were like their kid, like, or you were their grandkid where you're like directly coming from them. Like, um, geez, I, I need to think about this. Like, um, you know, if you were like that direct, but when you're, but when you're a great niece, like, yeah, you might be related to that, but you're not like not that related to them. Uh, anyway, she commented, I had my tubes tied at the age of 30 because I feared I would create another monster. I look like him for a start. The eyes, the cheekbones, the profile. I look more like him than his own daughter. Man, this... Okay, they, they leave it there. They're moving on to the second one. They've got a hyperlink here. They can't just leave that there. Let me see. Um, okay, it's taken me to a Daily Mail article from 2010. Let me see. Um, I'm scrolling down. While Hitler himself had no offspring, many others at the heart of the Reich had families and some children uh, uh, that had some of the children can be uh, had families and some of the children can remember being patted on the head by the Fuhrer. Uh, one is Hitler's godson, Nicholas Frank, whose father, Hans, was the Nazi governor of occupied Poland responsible for the death camps uh, in which six million Jewish people were killed. He said in the documentary Hitler's Children by Israeli director uh, Shanak Zivi that he, quote, despises his father's past and describes him as a slime hole of a Hitler fanatic. The film also shows Monica Hertwig, daughter of Eamon Goth. Uh, I think this is a guy from Schindler's List. Let's see. The death camp commandant played in the movie Schindler's List by Ralph Fiennes. Okay, I was right. Uh, meeting a man who tells her how, he, how her father shot women and babies for sport. Uh, ZV said he found fascinating similarities between the emotions of those related to Holocaust perpetrators and those of survivors, some of whom were children of their tormentors in the program. Um, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, going, going back to uh, Bettina Gehring, who lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico, um, either side of me, uh, on either side of me live Jewish neighbors, she says. And they are always quarreling. It's left to me to sort them out. I guess she means that jokingly. Bettina told the program both she and her brother were voluntarily sterilized. I had my tubes tied at the age of 30 because I feared I would create another monster. I look like him for a start. The eyes, the cheekbones, the profile. I look more like him than his own daughter. The 53-year-old Gehring said her father, Heinz, was adopted uh, by his infamous uncle after his own father died and became a fighter pilot for the Luftwaffe. Heinz uh, was shot down over Soviet Union and returned to captivity in 1952 to find out 
to find that his two brothers had killed themselves because of their shame and their family's fortunes were gone. Hermann Goering was sentenced to death along with 11 others at the Nuremberg trials in 1946, but he committed suicide by swallowing a poison pill in his cell the night before his scheduled execution. Goering said her father, who died in 1981, never spoke about the Holocaust or about his notorious uncle, but I unquote, but my grandmother was less evasive. She adored him. She said, that is crazy shit. I suddenly, I get it now. Okay, like I don't like I don't think she should have to pay for what her family did, but like my god, like I'm not going to I'm not going to criticize that lady at all. Like wow. Okay, let's let's scroll to the next one. Let me see. Pol Pot's daughter Sarpachada Sarpachada leads a normal life. I feel like most people don't really know about Pol Pot. I did a I I did a volume of a podcast called um firing back with gun owners of america i did that with eric pratt i was eric's co-host and in that we talked about the cambodian massacre cambodian genocide i think yeah it, it could go either way cambodian massacre cambodian genocide uh in which pol pot was responsible for the communist revolution in cambodia and uh, I had learned a little bit about it in school. I learned a little bit about it through um, just some basic research. But um, you know, the way that the way that Eric and I scripted that show, we tried to make it feel like a narrative. So we told it almost like a story, and uh, that that bothered me for days. I mean, we read testimonials of people, and like, oh god, I, I got to take a drink for this. Like, we read firsthand accounts and stuff of what was going on, and it, it bothers me to this day. But let me see. Pol Pot's daughter, Sara Pachata, leads a normal life. In 2014, Sara Pachata, communist dictator Pol Pot's only daughter, got married in a lavish ceremony at the former uh, Khmer Rouge rebel stronghold, following her father's death in 1998. 1998? What? That's not that long ago. That's that's twenty that's twenty two years ago. That's when my brother was born. You're telling me Pol Pot lived till nineteen ninety eight? Man, that feels weird. Um, Pachada was adopted by the Khmer Rouge's ambassador to the UN, uh, Tep Kanal. She later earned her master's degree in English literature in Malaysia, where she met her fiance, uh, Sai uh, Vacheka. It's English. Oh my gosh. Like, it's just, the whole thing just sounds wrong when you read it. And it sounds worse when you say it out, out loud. Um, after her father was sentenced to life imprisonment for crimes against the revolution, Pachata spent her life on the run um, without water or electricity. The leader of the Cameroons took his own life in 1998 when she was 12, thereby setting her free. Well, okay, that is, uh, that is a lot right there. That's crazy. That is crazy. Um, next one. I remember this guy. Uday Hussein, an arguably worse villain than his father. I've got to say, you know what's funny? I moved to uh, Australia in 2003. And I remember that December 13th, 2003, 
uh, December 13th is my birthday, but December 13th, 2003 was when Saddam Hussein was captured. So I always get to remember that on December 13th, it's not only my birthday, but it's also when Saddam Hussein was captured. And, uh, you know, growing up in an army family around the time my father was a captain at the beginning of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, I, I remember I remember these things quite well, just being observant as a child. Um, Uday Hussein was Saddam, was Saddam Hussein's first son by his first wife, Sahida Talaf, and was intended heir apparent to his father's empire. However, he lost his seat as heir after he killed his father's personal valet and food taster, uh, Kamel Hana Gaijo, during a party in 1988. And I mean, just looking at this photo, this is a Wiki Commons photo, Uday looks like a James Bond villain. Maybe not like the main villain, but he certainly looks like he could be, he could be like a henchman, a sidekick. Um, at one point, Uday was the chairman of the Iraqi Olympic Committee and the Iraqi Football Association, but he subjected the athletes who didn't win to extreme bodily punishments. He was also left with a limp after an attempt on his life after being struck by multiple bullets in 1996, two of which could not be removed due to their proximity to his spinal cord. He also reportedly used an Iron Maiden against his enemies and kidnapped young Iraqi women to assault them. So the Iron Maiden is something straight up like out of the freaking medieval ages. It's basically like a coffin with a bunch of spikes. So you're in there and they close it. And it's not that the spikes just completely like go through you, but it's like you move ever so slightly and you end up cutting yourself. That is some crazy shit. Um, he and his brother uh, Kuse were taken out during a fight with U.S. forces in Mosul in 2003. Good riddance, you sons of bitches. Ah, Fidel Castro's eldest son took his own life. I gotta say it. Fidel Castro was a piece of shit and, uh, you know, was a terrible human being. But, objectively, he's a good-looking guy. I'm looking at Sun right here. Um, he he looks like a happy-go-looking guy. He looks like any other dude you would see, like hanging out in Miami, you're going to going somewhere in Orlando or something. I mean, you you look at some of these other dudes and they straight up look evil, but you know, with with Castro's eldest son, who I'm looking right here, he doesn't look evil, and even you know Fidel himself, evil son of a bitch, but. You know they don't they don't have they don't have the evil look. I don't, I don't really know how to describe it. I hope you know. I think I think you get what I mean by that. <sighs> Anywho, in January 2018, it was reported that Fidel Castro's eldest son, Fidel Angel Castro Diaz Barlow, Barlet. I can't speak Spanish. I'm sorry to disappoint you if you're just now knowing that, learning that. Known to his family as F uh, F Fidelito, had taken his own life. According to his family, he had been struggling with depression for much of his life, and since the death of his father in November of 2016, things had only gotten worse. Although uh, Fidelito had been long associated with his father's regime and a supporter of the Cuban Revolution, 
in later years, it was said he became disillusioned with the concept and was trying to limit his involvement with the government, especially as he strongly disagreed with Cuba's decision regarding the energy crisis. Um, his parents had divorced when he was little, and he spent his early years living with his mother in the United States. Well, that'll make you disillusioned of communism. Hot women, rock and roll, blue jeans, and McDonald's, bitches. Freedom. Um, uh, but that, 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 when he went to visit his father in Mexico, where Castro was preparing to overthrow the Batista dictatorship in Havana, his father refused to send him back to his mother and instead kept him by his side, eventually bringing him to Cuba. Imagine the shit he had to see. I, I suddenly, I suddenly have some sympathy for this person who had to watch all that as a child. Uh, Li Na, Mao Zedong's daughter, is a tried and true communist. Well, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Like, this is a photo of Mao, like, smiling and stuff. But, um, you know, uh, Korean, my, my family's part Korean. Uh, there's a Korean word, ajima, which is basically like an old, old woman. Like, if you, if you, if you're, okay, if you're from, like, the northern Virginia area, or if you're, in any type of community that's predominantly Korean, uh, go ahead and ask somebody what the Ajima squat looks like. <laughs> you will see it at bus stops. You will see it in restaurants. You will see it anywhere. It's um, it, it's it's a thing. It's an inside joke. If you get it, you do. If you don't and you're lost, I'm sorry. But uh, anyway, with the way that Mao looks in this photo, he looks like an old Ajima. That's the only way I could describe it. Evil, evil, like a Bond villain, but like an old Ajima. Uh, Li Na is the daughter of Chinese communist revolutionary Mao Zedong. His Great Leap Forward campaign alone was responsible for between 15 and 55 million deaths due to famine. His daughter, Li Na, was born in 1940 and graduated from Peking University in 1965 with a degree in history. How progressive. Um... <laughs> She later worked at the People's Liberation Army Daily, the official newspaper for the People's Republic of China. As of 2007, she was living in a modest apartment complex in Beijing. Well, that's nice. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, let me see. Ida Mussolini married a man at odds with her father. Oh, looking at this photo, they look like they're straight out of The Godfather. I gotta take a drink for this. Let's see. Ida Mussolini was the oldest daughter of Italian dictator Benito Mussolini. She married fascist propagandist and foreign minister. Uh, oh, fuck. Uh, Galazzo Ciano. Um. I've messed up all the names this afternoon, whether you're Italian, Chinese, whatever. I'm going to screw it up. Uh, who was eventually tried for treason and executed in 1944 for voting against the fascist leader. Following the execution, Ida escaped to Switzerland, where she smuggled out diaries that contained the secret history of the regime. Oh, I wonder if those have been published. Uh, when she returned to Italy in 1945, she was immediately arrested and sentenced to serve two years in prison. She later published an autobiography called La Mia Vida in 1975 and passed away in Rome 20 years later. Well, that's, that's horrific. 
That that all sounds horrific. I mean, all of this stuff has been pretty horrific, but that that that, that sounds really horrific. Um, Lana Peters, daughter of Joseph Stalin, defected to the United States. I will admit, I did not know that Stalin had children at all. And like everything else, every Russian in this photo looks outright like a Bond villain. Uh, Svetlana Ilyova, who later changed her name to Lana Peters, was Joseph Stalin's youngest daughter. When she was only six years old, her mother took her own life, leaving her under the guidance of her brothers and her father. However, during World War II, her brother Jacob perished while imprisoned in a Nazi concentration camp after Stalin refused to exchange him for a German general he had in custody. Ooh. There's one more paragraph, but I'm going to tell you a quick story. There's this uh, story of this, uh, of this general who was in Franco's army during the Spanish Civil War, and uh, he's at this castle outside of Barcelona. And uh, apparently, I don't know what this castle is called, but it's a, it's a real castle. And in the castle, there was one payphone. I'm sorry, there was one corded phone inside because phones were were not just a regular thing back then, especially in that part of Spain. So this castle has one phone. And um, the general gets a line through to the, uh, uh, to the Republican army. And what they've done is that they've... They've captured the general's son, who was also a soldier, I guess. And what would happen was they would exchange his son for like a couple of their soldiers or else they would kill the son. So what the general said was, son, I'm sorry. And he hung up the phone and then he went and he killed all the Republican prisoners. And then the Republicans uh, killed his son. And uh, yeah. It was just, it was just what he had to do, I guess. You know, it's, it's war. So I mean, it's my 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 gosh. I'm, I'm joking right now. Obviously, it's a terrible thing. I mean, I guess there's a, a side to both of those decisions on that end. He could have saved his son, but would that have been doing something? I mean, it's it's just a bad situation. So ironically, this this sounds almost e- exactly like it in many ways. It's almost worse. I can't even really say that. It's a, it's a terrible thing to deal with. That is, it, 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 that's always bothered me. Like, what, if I were in that position, what would I do? And, uh, I, I mean, take, take the elements out of it. You're dealing with a, a father and a son. What, what do you do? Ah, that's the last of that. Um, anywho... Another of her brothers later passed from alcoholism at the age of 40. Peters finally defected from the Soviet Union in 1967 and ended up writing four books in her lifetime, two of which became best-selling memoirs. She was married three times, had three children, and passed away from cancer at the age of 85. So she got to live a, she got to live a life, at least. Oh, this guy's straight-up a Bond villain. Monica Hertwig was the daughter of Eamon Goth, the man who killed women and babies for sport. Okay, so we already heard about this guy a little bit earlier. Uh, Monica Hertwig's father, Nazi commander Eamon Goth, was hanged in... That's not how you do it. It's, it's was hung. Was hung, not was hanged. It's was hung. It should be Eamon Goth was hung in 1946, but whatever. 
um, for murdering tens of thousands of people. He had been an Austrian SS captain and a commandant in the Krakow uh, Plazau concentration camp in Poland during World War II. Monica, who was his illegitimate child, was less than a year old when he was killed. In the documentary Innocence by Israeli director uh, Chena Kazivi, Monica, after a lifetime wondering who her father really was, meets with individuals closest to him as she comes to terms with the reality of her absentee parent and his crimes. If you have not seen Schindler's List, I mean, one, it's just, it's a movie everyone has to watch. But secondly, the performance of um, of Liam Neeson uh, as Oscar Schindler and um, Ralph Fiennes, who plays Eamon Goth, I mean, it's just some of the best cinema ever. Um, my gosh, like, it's, you have to watch it. It's not just a, a great film, but it's a, it's a great reenactment of history and something that far too many people don't truly understand. Uh, Gaddafi. He looks like the lion from the whiz. Um, let me see. Mutasim Gaddafi paid stars such as Beyonce and Mariah Carey to sing at his parties. And I'm not surprised that either of them chose to. Uh, Mutasim Gaddafi was the national security advisor to his father, Muammar Gaddafi. According to his ex-girlfriend, uh, Talitha Van Zan, he spent upwards of $1.6 million a month on hedonistic pleasures. <laughs> um, stars such as Beyonce and Mariah Carey sang at his parties, which were attended by celebrities including Lindsay Lohan and Jay-Z. In 2011, anti-Gaddafi forces funded by NATO captured him during the Battle of Sirte, where he and his father were executed. I remember watching that on CNN. Good job, Hillary Clinton. Libya now has open slave markets. Am I defending Gaddafi? No. But sometimes you don't flip a rock just to let more vipers slip out. Sometimes you leave the rock alone. And that's all I gotta say about that. Uh, Jean Claude, baby Doc Duvalier, picked up right where his father left off. And this guy straight up looks like the bad guy from uh, Live and Let Die. Let's put it that way. Jean Claude, baby Doc Duvalier, and I can do that one name correctly. Thank you. Two years of, no, three years of French. Let's do it again just because I like the way it sounds. Jean-Claude Baby Doc Duvalier's father, Francois Papa Doc Duvalier, president of Haiti from 1957 to 1971, and was responsible for ending the lives of 30,000 to 60,000 Haitians and exiling many others. Then Baby Doc took over. During his regime, thousands of additional Haitians were treated in the same manner as his father. He also had a hand in drug trafficking and black market body parts. That is some disturbing shit. Uh, Baby Doc ruled from 1971 until the public eventually overthrew him in 1986. He passed away from a heart attack in 2014. If that's not Bond villain, I don't know who is. Uh, let me see. Princess Stefani's husband perished in a pact with his mistress. Uh, King Leopold II of Belgium had four children, including Princess Stephanie. Uh, during his rule, he garnered a brutal reputation for his colonial crimes, which include, 
which included using forced labor in the Congo to harvest and process rubber, resulting in the death of between 2 and 15 million Congolese. How how do you get between 2 and 15 million? I feel like there's a big divide between that. I feel like if you're wondering, well, it was 2 million, maybe 15 million, you should probably just be a bit liberal with that and say 15 freaking million people. My God. Um, Stephanie went on to marry the heir apparent of the Habsburg dynasty, Archduke Rudolf. Uh, however, in 1889, he and his mistress, Mary uh, Vetsera, took their own lives in an apparent pact at the Imperial Hunting Lodge, as one does at the Imperial Hunting Lodge of their mistress. Uh, one year later, Stephanie wed Count Elamar Lonier de la Nuage Lenoir et Vassaros... Not many. That's a long-ass fucking name. Uh, with him, she had one child, Archduchess... Uh, I hope she has a slow name, a, a shorter name. Archduchess Elizabeth Marie of Austria, born 1883. Well, that was simple. And uh, we got a couple left. Oh, let me see. Omar Bin Laden may have had bipolar disorder. I can't tell. That is not freaking Omar Bin Laden. That is... That is Osama bin Laden right there. They need to get their photo right. Uh, uh, Omar bin Laden is one of Osama bin Laden's 20 children. God damn. And the grandson of Mohammed bin Awad bin Laden, one of the wealthiest non-royal families in Saudi Arabia. Remember, when in doubt, blame the Saudis. Uh, he dramatically broke off his fa- with his father's plan for him to take on the family mantle when he moved to Saudi Arabia and cut ties with his father in 2001. He practices what he calls a moderate form of Islam and wrote a memoir about life with his father in which he remembers, We were not allowed to tell jokes. We were, not, we were ordered not to express joy over anything. He did say he would allow us to smile as long as we did not laugh. If we were to lose control of our emotions and bark a laugh, uh, we must be careful not to expose our eye teeth. Uh, I have been in situations where my father actually counted the exposed teeth, reprimanding his sons on the number their merriment had revealed. That is some sick shit. But are you surprised? Uh, Ida Gehring, believed to be Hitler's goddaughter, was pro-Nazi. So now we've got another Gehring. Uh, Ida is the daughter of Hermann Goering, and it's beli- okay. So we met the the grand niece earlier. Now this is the daughter. Uh, it's believed that Adolf Hitler was her godfather. She was born in 1938 and grew up in Berlin, during which time her father was a leading member of the Nazi Party for the entirety of World War II. However, he took his own life when Ida was just eight years old. In adulthood, she spoke lovingly of her parent and maintained that she had a different opinion of her father than the war in the world hold, seems to hold. In 2015, she petitioned the Bavarian Parliament's Legal Affairs Committee for compensation for her father's legacy expropriated in the year 1948. She was unanimously rejected by the court. No shit. And uh, now we're down to the last one. Bridget Haas kept her father's reputation a secret for 40 years. Uh, let me see, let me see. Do, 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 do. Come on, scroll, scroll, scroll. That's not you. What happened to the screen, damn it? Let me see, okay. 
Uh, as of 2013, Bridget Haas was living in Northern Virginia. Oh, that's weird. We were neighbors. Uh, her father, Rudolf Haas, was the man responsible for the building of the Auschwitz concentration camp in Poland, which was responsible, which was capable of ending up to 2,000 lives an hour. My God, this woman lived in Nova? What the hell? By the end of World War II, over 1 million Jews had been felled there, along with 20,000 Roma and thousands of other political prisoners. Her father is considered to be one of the biggest war criminals in history and was hanged and was hung, was hung, was hung in 1947 following a trial in Warsaw. Bridget hid her family's history for 40 years, not even telling her closest family members about it. After leaving Germany after the war and moving to Spain, she married an Irish-American engineer and moved to Washington, D.C. in 1972. She got a job at a fashion boutique owned by a Jewish couple who had fled Nazi Germany, but they kept her on even after learning about her father. She worked right there for 35 years. Oh, that is forgiveness, if anything. Ida told, her, told author Thomas Harding that she remembers her father as being one of the nicest men in the world even though he was responsible for the deaths of so many people. She explained he had to do it. His family was threatened. We were threatened if he didn't, and he was one of many in the SS. There were others as well who would do it if he didn't. That is that is something right there. And, uh, you know, looking at these people, I often wonder, are we our bloodline? Are we our environment? Are we who raise us? Or are we capable of our own destinies? I think that's something that men and women have asked themselves throughout all of history. But uh, by understanding evil, it's how we understand beauty and vice versa. Um, you know, I, I may have laughed at certain parts, but it's not because I found any of it funny. It's because I found it shocking. And uh, hopefully we learn something in the process or maybe we've just got to let it simmer. Either way, those are those are some people that definitely have to deal with something that they were not, they never chose to be part of, but it's just the cards that life dealt them. Some embraced it, some ran from it, and some couldn't take it. But hey, such is life, right? Enjoy episodes like this. Hey, please go ahead and do me a favor, especially as we go up into 2021. I want to go ahead and thank you and every one of you who have left a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When this show started during the pandemic, I was like, how am I supposed to do a travel show during, you know, a lockdown around the world? And, uh, you know, we went from getting to explore different faraway places to getting to explore all of that in life and insights through other people. And, uh, whether times are really good or whether times are really bad, I enjoy getting to be part of your week. And, you know, when you tweet at me, when you message me, when you engage with the show on the many platforms that we're on, um, it means more to me than anything you can imagine. So as we get ready for the holiday season, for a new year, let's be thankful for one another, each other, and for all we have. Life, even in the darkest moments, is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I'm thankful to be part of yours. And I'm happy, so happy that you're part of mine. 
Thank you to everyone at the We Are Libertarians Network. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of On the Run. I'm Remsen W. Martinez. Be well, stay safe. Good night. Check out our other shows and more from the We Are Libertarians Network at wearelibertarians.com.